Well, praise God. Well, over the last number of weeks, I've been talking about temptations. And uh, actually, it's, I was, and then I went on vacation, then I came back, we did some stuff. And anyway, I'm going back to that. So I finished up the talk on temptations. And we've looked at how we are tempted to doubt, we are tempted to fear, we're tempted to disobey God, and we're tempted to be offended. It's, all of those are big, but we had to do two weeks on offense because it happens very easily. Sometimes we get offended at each other, offended with our family, offended with ourselves. But um, there's just those are the main ways and areas of our life that we're actually tempted, is through offense, through uh, disobeying, fear, and doubt. And if we don't recognize that doubt and fear are connected to unbelief, we don't recognize it's actually a temptation to get you to disobey God, we're actually missing it because we're going to start, well, I'll just ignore that thought, or I just won't think about that, or that's just a distraction. It's not a distraction. The enemy's trying to cause you to doubt. He's trying to cause you to fear so he can get you on track to disobey and get you off track to desertion and, and leaving God. So he has a strategy that he's formed, trying to form against you. And as, if you get to know the ways you're being tempted, the ways you're tempted to doubt, the ways you're tempted to fear, you'll be empowered to win the battle because Jesus wants you to win, okay? He wants you to win. He paid for you to win, but we have to actually put application in our own lives of how to walk in the victory he already paid for, amen? It's not just automatically across the board. He paid for the victory, but you actually have to do something to implement the victory in your life. It's going to come out of your mouth, out of the abundance of your heart. Your mouth speaks. Life and death is going to come through your tongue. So if you're speaking what the devil is speaking all the time, you're going to enjoy the fruit of the devil, which is stealing, killing, and destroying. It doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter what society says. It matters what did God say. He has another whole kingdom, and it's not of this world. But the kingdom that he has is in you. It's in you. And if you want that kingdom to be established in your heart and your life, the word of his mouth has to be the one coming out of your mouth. The word of his heart, the sword of his spirit has to come out of your mouth and not just, well, what's funny or what's common, what everybody else is saying. If you want to have whatever else is saying, keep saying what everybody else is saying. If you want to have what God wants you to have, start saying what God wants you to have, amen? Yeah. Jeremiah the prophet, Isaiah the prophet, all those guys were saying things that nobody else was saying. And all the Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets were saying things that nobody else was saying, nobody else was even seeing. But they heard from God and they started speaking it. What, what are you saying? The guy's like, by tomorrow, these guys, we'll be able to buy bread for this and, and have all these things going on when they're in this massive famine. But they keep saying it, they keep saying it, and the next day everything shifted. And it was the, I think it was the leopards who found that this war was wiped out and he got to get all this spoils because the prophets believe what God said. Amen. So uh, one example of being tempted we can, uh, is how we're tempted to doubt. It over overlaps in every area of our lives. So this is how these, what I'm trying to say is, uh, these areas that we're tempted in doesn't just affect you in one area. It's affected, like you're tempted to doubt, it affects every area of your life. You're doubting in this area, it affects this area. It's like uh, if we had a string in here, a rope pulled in. If I'm pulling on this part of your life, it's affecting you over here and over here and over in different ways. It affects every area of your life. You're tempted to fear. It overlaps every area of your life. If God tells you to go to a certain country and you're afraid of flying, then guess what? You're going to disobey God. Oh, I'm just saying, he might not call you to go to another country, but if he does, and he tells you to go, you need to get your tail on that plane. Whether you're afraid or not, take an Advil or whatever, something, I don't know, get stronger. I don't know what, <laughs> take something, knock yourself out, get on that plane and go, because that's what you're called to be, and you're called to go. So um, you're tempted to fear, that overlaps every life. We're tempted to disobey, and we're tempted to be offended. Guys, there is strategies the devil has laid out for your life to try to take you out. 
And I remember a few weeks ago, I brought in some of Jordan's fishing lures. And I had them up here and almost hooked myself a few times, but different fishing lures. And when, you know, when the fish are not biting, good fishermen know, let's try something else. Let's switch it up to a different fly. Let's switch it up to a different this, different that. Let's try another spot, try a different location. And your enemy does the same thing. If he can't get you defended with your mother, he'll try your father. If he can't get your father, he'll try your aunt, uncle, or cousin. If he can't get them, he'll try your best friend, your girlfriend, or whoever else is in your life. He'll try to do something to get you offended, because once he has you offended, he has you on a, a pathway, the trail of desertion and denial of Christ. You may not be denying him as your Savior, but you're not really going to follow him. You're going to go to church. You're going to do the Christianity thing. You're going to do the Christianese thing and make sure you look as good of a Christian as anybody else. But you're not going to do the passionate, wholehearted, lay down your life, surrender everything to Jesus and follow him no matter what anybody else says. Okay, it isn't with worship. It is a community worship event. But really, your life is totally individual and your worship, it goes heart to heart with God and your obedience is affected by what you do. That's not community. That's individual. And we put our individual worship together, things will work good for your works good, but when you disobey, things aren't going to go well. So he uses these deceptions and trickery and different bait. So if he can't get you hooked on something else, he's going to go to he's going to try another thing. So be aware. So if you have your list ready, we had took time and wrote lists of things we're being tempted to doubt. Things are being tempted to fear. We, if you guys remember, we journaled about that. If you haven't done it yet, you still can. But if you know your weaknesses and the area that enemy is coming at you, you're, and you find scripture to combat that, you're going to be empowered to win. That's what Jesus did. He had the word in his heart, and when he was tempted every time, he let the sword of the Spirit come out of his mouth, and he beat the devil every single time. So he wasn't led in, out in the wilderness to be beaten by the devil. He was led out in the wilderness to kick the devil's tail. <laughs> um, and he did it with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Amen? So if you remember, if you, um, let me drop down this part. I want to share, this is where we're going to conclude this series this week, how we can fight effectively to win whether it's a battle of fear, it's anxiety, it's, I mean, oh my gosh, I think I, I'm starting to meddle, but there's nothing wrong with anxiety medicine, okay? There's nothing wrong with taking pills, but... When does it get to, it may, with certain people, get to a point where you're more dependent on the pills than you're dependent on God. That God might want to speak to you and say, hey, the reason why you're anxious is because you don't trust me over here. The reason why you're anxious, you still have this fear over here. The reason why you're anxious or you have fear because sometimes there's a demonic spirit of fear that actually has to be cast off of your life and then you don't feel that anymore. Come on, somebody. I'm just telling you, I mean, do you want to know the truth or you just want Band-Aids? <laughs> Right? We can have band-aids and stuff, but God wants you to actually walk in victory, to actually experience freedom. This isn't a fairy tale. It is a kingdom, and this kingdom works a certain way, and it works by believing him and works through faith. So if you're battling anxiety and fear, I don't mean that as a way of, to condemn you. I'm giving a way to empower you that you can be set free, that you don't have to be enslaved in darkness. Do you know how you feel like this dark cloud is surrounding you and covering your head and you just can't hardly see because you feel so afraid to do this and do that? There's some people that are so afraid they don't even leave their house. They don't even go outside because they're so afraid of what might happen. This is before COVID. They had this even before that. And they're so afraid. And God doesn't want you to live there. Amen? He doesn't want you to live there. So today I want to conclude this series on temptations. And to start off with, I want to read you something from my journal entry that I wrote when I was praying, talking to God about this. But he said, um, Ryan, everyone is tempted in many ways from day to day. Everything you see, hear, or feel influences you to believe a certain way. 
So it is important to monitor what you see, hear, and feel. These are the three main ways the temptations come. You see it, you hear it, or you feel it. Then he asked me, what did David see? And I said, he he saw Bathsheba. And then we can go on from there. You know what he saw. He saw something he liked, right? Uh, What did he hear? Uh, He heard, stay home from war, and he heard, number the troops. He's hearing this constantly, just different times, number the troops. Stay home from the battle. And when he did, we already talked about what happened to him. What did he feel? He felt fear, he felt curiosity, and he felt desire all mixed together. So the three ways he was tempted all came through what he saw, he heard, and what he felt. Adam and Eve, God asked me, what did they see? He said, I said that he saw the tree and the fruit. What did they hear? That it will make them wise, make them really smart. What did they feel? Fear, curiosity, and desire is what I answered. And he said, these are the main ways the enemy tempts us, through what we see, hear, and feel. That is why it is important to know the ways the enemy is tempting us, so we can, we can be cautious not to feed our souls with those types of things. Then he said to me, think of the life of Judas. We know that he was a treasurer and he was a thief, but how was he tempted? And I answered, he was tempted with greed. And I, I kind of caught the pattern here of see, hear, feel. So I kind of tagged that on there too, to be smart with God. So I said, uh, he was tempted with greed through what he saw, heard, and felt. And then I felt like God answered me, Ryan, that is correct, but there's more to it than that. Judas was offended. He was offended before he acted on the temptation and betrayed me for 30 pieces of silver. But he was tempted with greed before he was offended. But once he was offended, he actually acted on the temptation. So what he was saying, temptation to be greedy was in his life way before he actually acted on it. It was there, it was hovering around. He probably wasn't confessing word on it or anything, but it was just there. But he didn't do anything about it. But then one day he got offended with Jesus and how they wasted in his mind the, the ointment on his feet and the different ways he did things. He got offended and then that uh, then the, uh, the greed was put into action. He started stealing from Jesus. Imagine. There are people that do that. They steal from the church. We had someone steal our pew. Actually, <laughs> with our last pew out there in the air, someone stole it. And this is one of you guys. If you took it, you need to tell me because you didn't have permission to take it. That was supposed to go to someone else. Uh, but anyway, we had a name on it, but someone came by Friday night dark, and they took it. So people will do that, and Judas was one of those kind of people. But it didn't, it wasn't, he, when he first signed up for the ministry of Jesus, I don't think he was stealing from him at that time. I think he was probably on his best behavior. He was probably doing all the things. He was healing the sick. He was seeing people delivered. He was seeing all these things, because those things happen by the Spirit of God, not by flesh, Right? I mean, that's why. He wasn't any different than us. He, 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 it was the Spirit of God that does those things. But uh, he, he was tempted after he was offended. Now I want to show you this and look at what he saw, what he heard, what he felt. So what did he see? Let's look at Luke 8, 1 through 3. Soon afterward, Jesus began a ministry tour throughout the country. Now you're probably wondering already, what version is this? It's a passion. <laughs> he started a ministry tour. I like that. Throughout the country, visiting cities and villages to announce the wonderful news of the kingdom of God. His 12 disciples traveled with him, as did a number of women who had been healed of many illnesses and set free from demonic power. One of the women was Mary, who was from the village of Magdala, from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. Among the women were Susanna and Joanna, the wife of Shusa, who managed King Herod's household. Many other women who supported Jesus' ministry from their own personal finances also traveled with him. So Jesus had this large group of people traveling with him. 
Because what happened, just like the guy that was uh, demonically oppressed in the, in the Gerasenes, when he was delivered, he goes, let me come with you. He said, no, you need to go to the ten cities over here and tell them what I've done for you. But he had all these people following him, including women. And there was a lot of women. They mentioned three here, but actually a lot more than three. And one of them was King Herod's uh, household manager's wife. She was his wife. Now, I'm thinking he probably was paid quite well, being King Herod's uh, treasurer, his accountant, his bookkeeper, his household manager, kind of like what Joseph did with Pharaoh uh, in Potiphar. He, he, had, he had that kind of power and that kind of money, and that's the kind of people Jesus had traveling around following him, supporting his ministry. So the thought that Jesus was poor is just really not from the Bible. I just wanted you to know Jesus was as rich as he needed to be on any given day because he had no lack. Not to say he carried bundles in his pocket. He didn't need to. He'd just go fishing. Or he'd just like command bread to come or fish to come or whatever to come. And they'd come and he'd have what he needed. And then some. And backs is left over. So, but the, what I'm saying is women traveled with, with Jesus and all these other guys to pay for the needs of their ministry. Whether it was a hotel, whether they had food to buy, whether they had gifts to give to widows and orphans. Whatever they did, they were giving generously. And these women helped provide for those needs. And it wasn't just the three. It said there was m- many. So Judas, what did he see? He saw abundance and he saw no lack. There was no lack. He was, they just kept giving to him because they're getting healed. They're getting healed everywhere. They're getting delivered from demons everywhere. And they're like, I want to give to the ministry of Jesus. And you would too, right? I want to give. I, want to pour, I don't care if it's worth a whole year's wages. I'm going to give it. I'm going to pour it on his feet. They're giving and giving and giving. He's having to carry these money bags around. And uh, he's after a while. I was like, you know what? I could put a little bit of this in my pocket and I don't think anybody would notice. And he probably took a little bit here a little bit there, stuck in his back pocket. I'll pay it back later. I'll, I'll, I'll pay that back later. I'll do an IOU like on Dumb and Dumber. You know, they did the whole IOU thing. <laughs> anyway, bad example, but anyway. But, but what, what did he, so that's what he saw. He saw abundance. Then he saw, what did he hear? He heard, and I'm pursuing this, what did he hear? Why don't you take some of that? There's plenty. There's more than enough. Look how generous he was with this lady. Look how generous he was with this widow, this orphan. He'll be generous with you. Just go ahead and take some. Put it in your pocket. You can have it. And these temptations, they're so sneaking subtle. It sounds like you, but it's actually the enemy speaking with your, with your sounding like your voice, but he's speaking through you to tempt you to do something that's ungodly. It was just a little thing, a little thing, but it adds up. What did he feel? Then he felt greed, he felt offended, and he felt that he could get away with it. He thought he could use the gifts better than Jesus did. And, of course, he felt that way because he wanted to take a big chunk of it put in his pocket, like the Bible says. He wanted to keep it. So he was tempted by what he saw, what he heard and what he felt. Or think about Ananias and Sapphira. What did they see, hear, and feel? Now, this is an extreme story in the Bible, but I want to show you this. What did they see, hear, and feel? Acts 5, 1 through 11. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife was also aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the, the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You, you have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias heard these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. That'd be a scary day, huh? You'd be checking your pockets pretty good, like, did I give it all? <laughs> I kept a little bit. I don't know if Judas was alive then. He might have uh, put some things back in it. I don't know. 
But uh, that was a scary thing. They, he fell over dead because he lied to the Holy Spirit. He lied to God. So verse 6. And the young man, came, uh, man rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later, his and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much, she said. Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and, and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead and carried her out and buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And I could only imagine. You imagine? You're like, you never believe what Pastor Ryan did today. <laughs> Somebody didn't pay all their tithe. He knew by the Spirit they're holding back. And they had the young guys carrying him out and burying him in church there by, by the other two out there. And uh, I mean, you imagine great fear going over the land. I, they'd probably want to try to arrest me. Like, I didn't do anything. I didn't even touch him. But I mean, that would have an impact on your community, wouldn't it? So that would be a, that's a pretty big deal. So, but um, why did Ananias and Sapphira, why did they do this? Why did they do that? No one said they had to sell their land. No one told them they had to sell it. No one said they had to give the money to the people. No one, no one, they did that all on their own. They made this whole thing up uh, to look good. Let's see what it says in Acts 4. This is what they see. What do they see Acts, in Acts 4, 32 and 35? Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they, but had, things in, they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and he distributed them to each as anyone had need. In this portion, we see there was great power, there was great grace, there was great generosity, and there was absolutely no, no lack. So this is abundance. This is what they're seeing. They're seeing all this abundance happening. But when uh, Ananias and Fire, what did they see? They saw others, people selling their houses, selling their family land. You know, since we've moved to the area, I always heard people say, it's hard to find land in Plumtree because no one will ever sell their family land. It's in that. And these people weren't selling it. They were selling it, but they, weren't, they were giving it away. They were selling it to donate all the money. Their family land. They could have been in their family for a hundred years, a thousand years. Who knows how many generations it was passed down. They sold family land and gave the money, all the proceeds, to the apostles to do with how they felt to do with it. That's amazing. Houses, lands, farms, all that stuff. So Anas and and Sapphira saw that and like, wow, that's amazing. Look at what they're doing. And I'm sure the people are getting praise and comment. I can't believe he did that. that. Your granddaddy had that land. I remember when he did this when you were a little kid. And I remember this and that. You're going to just sell that land? And they're like, I love Jesus more than that land. They're selling this stuff and giving it away. And they saw that these people are getting praise from men. They're getting like, wow, you're amazing. How could you do that? They're getting all this praise from men, and they wanted that. They didn't want praise from God. They wanted praise from man. And I'm telling you, praise from man is a snare. It's the same thing as fear of man. It's a snare for your soul. You do not need it, and once you get it, it doesn't do you much good anyway. Because praise or rejection is basically the same thing. It's a different side of the same coin. The praise of man or rejection from man, it's the same thing. We need to get our praise from God. They didn't care what they looked like in the eyes of God. They only cared what they looked like in the eyes of man. And guess what? They dropped dead. They died. I mean, it's a crazy story. So what did they hear? They heard the people being praised and complimented. Wow, you're amazing. You sold your family land. 
But guess what? The ones who've done that probably were told to do that. Just because God tells me to do something, you do something, doesn't mean you copy what they did and think you're going to get the same results. God isn't a robot, and he doesn't work that way. You need to hear what he's saying to you. What did they feel then? They felt greed. They felt deception. They felt a need for the approval of man. And they were not trying to look good in God's eyes, but in man's eyes. And they wanted to hear the praise from man more than praise from God. Like, you're amazing. You sold that land. Wait a minute, you gave all that to apostles? We were so generous. That's amazing. And they needed to hear those words. For some reason, they needed that affirmation from men and not the affirmation from God. And we say, wow, I would never do that. But guys, we do that. People do that. All, all, often do that. Often people volunteer and do things at church for the wrong reasons. To look good for people. To get confidence from people. Not doing the voluntary work so they can do the work of the kingdom or do the work to help out the, me or the church, whatever they're doing, so they can get their name mentioned at the front or put the name on the bulletin on the website or I did this or I did that. I'm not saying you guys I don't have anybody in mind. I'm just saying people do that. And you know what? That is the wrong motivation of the heart. And God cares about the motives of our heart of why we do what we do. And their motives were way off. Way off. So, um, again, they want to look good in the eyes of men, not the eyes of God. So this, I'm sharing these areas with you guys because I don't want us to make the same mistakes, these temptations from what we see, hear, and feel. And make the same mistakes like, you know, Judas did. Or Ananias Sapphira did. Or King David did. We want to make those same mistakes, and they're in the Bible for us to learn from their mistakes. Amen? So the enemy, and that's why it's so important for us to be aware what ways we are being tempted. Because if you know what areas you're being tempted, whether it's doubt, fear, whatever, you can actually get an expectation like, I bet you he's going to try to tempt me over here because he's done it before, he's done it again, like, like God's never going to help you, or God's never going to be with you, or God would never heal you, or God would never bless you, God would never do this to you. Those are actually temptations to doubt God's word. You're doubting the integrity, the, in character, the character of God Almighty, and he, he implements these little tentacles kind of things just into our hearts to make you doubt and disbelieve God. It comes through temptations. And so we, we recognize the area that we are doubting or in fear. We can actually do something about it. So hopefully over the last few weeks you made a list. If you haven't made a list yet, come on, get on it. Because it's going to be good for you. Because guess what? You're going to get tempted again. You're going to get tempted again. Some of you are being tempted right now to fall asleep. <laughs> you're, being tempted, <laughs> you're being tempted to not listen. You're being tempted to... I mean, there's, it's, temptations happen all the time, amen? They do. So um, I, went, I went over my list. I remember a number of weeks ago. I don't know how, how many now. But uh, God said, practice what you preach. So I started journaling. Oh, what am I afraid of? What am I tempted to doubt? And so you need to, if you haven't yet, make your list and ask God these questions. Like, just journal, God, what am I really afraid of? What am I tempted to doubt? What am I tempted to fear? How am I tempted to disobey you? How am I tempted to be offended? And when you know you are going to be, the information he gives you is going to empower you to be successful. The word of God in Jesus' heart caused him to be successful in the wilderness. And the word of God in your heart will cause you to be successful when you're walking through the valley of shadow of death or whatever you're going through. So write down what you feel, hear, and sense God's saying, and then you need to get scriptures to back that up. So I remember I shared with you what things I was being tempted with, tempted to, uh, tempted to, I was tempted to doubt that God would do something for me, like he would do something for other people but might not do it for me. 
So when some, you came in with a prayer request and God answered, like, yeah, that's awesome, praise God. But deep down, I'd be like, would God do that for me? Would God do that? And you guys have probably felt that before, too. Or I'm tempted sometimes to doubt if I'm good enough. I'm tempted to doubt if I heard God or not. And you get this double-mindedness in your heart going back and forth, and it causes you to be unstable in what God's saying. Then I shared ways I'm tempted to fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of man. Fear of rejection. Fear of being judged. Fear of failure and fear of disappointing others. So I made this list to share with you guys. And so now, once you get that list together, you get scripture verses that combat that mindset, combat that temptation, and actually empowers you to walk in victory. Amen. Amen. I'm just saying. It will. These temptations are, are, are common to man. So I'll give you an example here. Um, so after I made my list, let me share this. After I made my list, uh, where I was tempted to doubt and fear, I heard God say to me, ask him, what do you want me to do about it? What do you want me to do about this? I heard him say, what scripture verses are you standing on for these temptations? And what scripture verses are you meditating on for these temptations? And honestly, at the time, I wasn't standing or meditating on any of them because I hadn't recognized that these doubts and these tempta- were actually temptations, that these fears were temptations. I thought they were just emotions. I'm like, ah, go away, fear. I'm not going to meditate you. I'm not going to think about this. Just push the bat of my mind kind of thing. But God wants us to, me and us, to acknowledge them and actually combat them with Scripture verses. So if you're, um, if you're tempted in the area of fear that God would do something for you, you need to find some verse that talk about the Lord is your helper. The Lord is my helper. I shall not want. Or, the Lord is my helper. What will man do to me? And just different verses on how the Lord is your helper. He's going to help you in times of trouble. He's ever-present help in times of trouble. So whether your dad helped you or your mom didn't help you or whatever reason you have this doubt and unbelief of receiving help from somebody, you can actually root that out of your heart, that doubt and unbelief out of your heart, and get the word fixed in your heart and believe what God says, and you'll be rooted and grounded in God's love, and you won't have to doubt that anymore. Guys, doubt and unbelief is not fun. It's so common in the church that it's, it looks like normal Christianity, and it's not normal Christianity. It's not normal for us to live in doubt and unbelief. It is way below our, our means. It's way below what Christ paid for. It's way below all of that things. We're in a religious sect, if you will, kind of thing, where it's religiously acceptable to live in these things, and this is, it's, it's sin. Doubt and unbelief, the Bible clearly says, is sin. And it's a socially acceptable sin, but it's not acceptable to God. And we were trying to look good in the eyes of man or in the eyes of God. Amen? Oh me, oh my. Yes, okay, so one of the things we need to do to get this word rooted in our hearts is meditate on the word of God. i got some verses I want to share with you about meditating on the word of God. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and blessed is the man who meditates on the word day and night. This doesn't necessarily mean 24-7, but do some in the morning, you do some in the evening, you meditate on what God's saying to you. And now look at what the, guy's life, the person's life looks like if they meditate. Because if you meditate, your life will look a certain way, and if you don't, it's going to look another way. That's what the Bible says. If this offends, I'm sorry, the word of God is an offense, the Bible says, to those who are perishing, right? It is a defense. So but let, it, let it offend us enough to action. Amen? Amen. So verse 3, this is what your life will look like. He shall be like a tree 
planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Amen. Thus saith the Lord. That's the Spirit of God. If you meditate on the Word, this is what your, your life will look like. You're going to have a fruitful life. You're going to have abundance and prosperity, provision for you. Not just financially, but emotional stability. That your, it says, First uh, John, 3 John, verse 1 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. God wants your soul to prosper. And how that happens is meditating on the Word of God. And as you meditate on the Word of God, you're going to prosper in other ways too because he said so. You're going to be a tree, like a tree planted by the rivers of water, living water. Amen? Whatever you do will prosper, you're going to bring forth fruit in its season. So let's see what it says. Another verse, another verse says this, same thing, Joshua 1.8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. It's the same thing as Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Meditate on the word day and night. It's going to change how you think. It's actually going to change what you believe about you, what you believe about God, and what you believe about others. That's what needs to change, amen? That's what needs the metanoia. The, the transformation is what we think about God, what we think about ourselves, and what we think about others. The others are not the enemy. The others, them, they, those, they're not the enemy. They have one enemy with demons and principalities and powers. You have an enemy, but it's not them and they. It's, it's the enemy is, there, is the devil. And as you get to know God and get these words rooted and grounded in your heart, you're like, what can man do to me? What can, what can man do to me? What can, what can he do, right? So let me show you this in the New Testament. Same thing. 1 Timothy 4.15. Paul says to Timothy, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. That's saying the same thing as Psalm 1 and Joshua 1.8. Blessed is the man who meditates, uh, who, who sees success and prosperity to those who meditate, and we see that our progress will be evident to all when we meditate on the things of God. So if so, someone's to come up to you and said, I have a foolproof plan for your life, that if you do this, these couple of things, your life is guaranteed to be successful. Your life is guaranteed to be abundant, prosperous. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to have a, a wonderful life. You're like, where do I sign up? But it's going to cost you five easy installments of $9,999, whatever it is. You're like, where do I sign up or whatever in these you know, TV commercials and stuff. Here God Almighty says, my son, my daughter, do you want to have a good life? Do you want to have a prosperous life? Do you want to have emotional health? Do you want to have abundance in your life? Do these things. Don't listen to counsel of the ungodly. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't listen to the mockers. Don't listen to them. Meditate on my word day and night. And so then you will make your way. Your actions will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So success in my mind might look different in, in your mind, and that's okay. But you will have success in, your, in the mind area that you have. The, the level you believe for is the level you're going to go to. We cap ourselves. God's not capping us off. We cap ourselves. Are you okay? We cap ourselves. We limit the Holy One of Israel by our thinking and by our beliefs. Okay, that's what the word says. So uh, anyway, um, so again, if you haven't already, make your list. Make a list what you're tempted to doubt, what you're tempted to fear, 
This is good for your soul, bringing soul prosperity to you, and then find scriptures to meditate on to combat that actual temptation. So if you don't have a list, it'll be like, you can still meditate, you still grow in it, but if you have a list of what you're actually attacking, I'm attacking the spirit of fear right now with this word. I'm attacking doubt and unbelief with these words. I'm attacking this with these words. And you meditate on it, you get it in your heart, next time temptation comes, you're like, what first thing I'm out there is boom, the word. Not like, oh my gosh, I'm terrified. It's a boogeyman. You know? So for example, if you're struggling with the fear of man, you can meditate on, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What will man do to me? Amen? The Lord's on your side. Okay? Or Psalm 56, 3 through 4. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? And you meditate on these things. And next thing you know, when, when you're tempted to be afraid... When you're feeling those feelings, the first thing in your mouth is going to be the Word of God. And you're going to destroy that temptation with Scripture. Amen? Or Isaiah 54, 14. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. You shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Come on. You get that word in your heart and you're tempted to be afraid or whatever. You're tempted of oppression or whatever. No, oppression shall be far from me. Far from me, amen. It shall not come near me, and terror shall not come near me, because God is with me, and righteous I am established. It's like Psalm 91, basically in there. A thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but it will not come near my dwelling place. When something's happening, we have to stand and confess the word of God and get it rooted in our hearts. So the first thing out is faith and not fear. Now, none of us are perfectly there yet. We have room, all of us have room for growth, but we're going to have to, if you find these areas where you're weak and strengthen it with the Word of God, you won't have to stay weak there. You don't have to stay in fear your whole life of this or that or whatever. You don't have to stay in doubt and unbelief your whole life over this certain area that God wouldn't use you or God would use this person but not you. That is a lie from hell. It is a lie from hell. It doesn't matter your background, your past, where you're born, or none of that matters. It matters will you believe God and do what He says? You might be afraid sometimes to obey God. It's okay. Joshua was too. Isaiah was. All these people, they were afraid. I'm just a young man. What can I? Jeremiah was. All these guys were afraid. But they, it wasn't the absence of fear. It's doing it anyway. I'm going to walk. Even I'm afraid. I'm going to walk through the valley of shadow of death because you're with me. And I know you want me to do this. You know, what I'm doing right now is the last thing I wanted to do. And mostly because of fear. It wasn't that I didn't love people. I just didn't want to stand in front of you and talk. And because I get tongue-tied, I've done it a bunch today, I do it pretty much every week, I start going too fast and my tongue starts sticking to the, my teeth or my top, my, I don't have any water and it's sticking here and there and I can't say words right. And then I pronounce them wrong and then my kids will remind me of every word I said wrong when I get home. And, or, the, or the wrong word I told to use, I was thinking this one and I said that one because I'm looking at you guys and I'm reading my notes and I'm doing all this at the same time. That's hard to do, you know that? It is. I feel good saying that. Like it's kind of like healing right now. Just like, huh? It's something hard to do, especially distractions and people get picking and scratching places and stuff. It's, it gets a little distracting. But uh, you know, I was afraid to do this because I was afraid of doing bad and not being as good as my dad or my grandfather or this person, that person. This guy can do it better than me, and this person has better memory than me, and this whatever. And I actually had to just walk up and do it week after week after week, and I'd pray in tongues sometimes for an hour or more before I got to church, because I was terrified. Even though we had only, you know, 40 people in here, whatever it was, 
I was so self-conscious of me and not God-conscious of my helper. I was so conscious of me screwing up and how many ways I can mess this up and say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, or whatever, because uh, I've definitely made Holly nervous different times of things I've said. Joe can relate, and, uh, <laughs> or Millie can relate, so, <laughs> right? It was saying the wrong thing, and then you like, you know, so it was a battle. But you're going to be asked by God to do something, and you're going to have to walk in it, whether it makes you nervous, makes you scared, makes you afraid. And if you're going to obey God, you're going to have to do it anyway. And eventually, it gets better, kind of. Some, yes, it does, some, some, it does somewhat. I heard Grace Fountain say just on a podcast the other day how they said, were you ever nervous to speak in public? And he's like, yes. He's like, every Wednesday they had this like, life group meeting for, at his home for like 15 years. And he said, I was late every single week. He goes, not because I wasn't home. I was home. I was just in the bathroom trying not to throw up because I was so nervous every week with butterflies and fear, anxiety, because people are afraid of being vulnerable with their mistakes or their weaknesses and stuff. So in your life, it might not be the same thing I'm facing, but you have to walk through it. You walk through it with Jesus. You take it a step at a time. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to say the wrong things. I, I, I said a fart from the law in prison. Uh, they, always, they always will randomly say, uh, snake, what do you say, snake butt? I want to say snake bite, and I, I said snake butt. I hear that like probably once a month at home, like snake butt, like just random, like, 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 like okay, yeah, yeah, I said it, yeah, whatever. So, uh, <laughs> never know. But we have to walk through it, mistakes and all, and God will still use us. Amen. I, I, my, my favorite part is the stuff I say that I didn't know I was going to say. So, uh, let me show you one more in the New Testament. We'll close for today. Hebrews 13 6 says, So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? The Lord is my helper. He's not sometimes going to help you. He's always your helper. It doesn't matter what you're doing. He's your helper. We can be confident in that. So, guys, I want to ask you, the temptations are not a sign of weakness. Temptations are a sign that you're human, you're alive. There's a way the enemy tries to get us to do things do or not do things that he wants us or not wants us to do, to influence the things. But this is what we're battling against is temptations. If we want to win these temptations, we're going to win it with the word just like Jesus did. Get the word coming out of your mouth. Speak the word and, and only believe and you will walk in prosperity. You'll, walk, you'll win these battles. You'll be abundant and have good success. Amen. So that's what I want for our church. Uh, I want us to be active in speaking the word, active in service, active in praying, active in ministry. It doesn't matter if you're in a church building, whether you're in your house, you're out at Walmart, you're somewhere, be active with the word is so filled your heart that if someone says something near you, you just, it's love and the word coming out of your mouth, not judgment, condemnation, not belittling people, not condemning them, but pouring out the love of God because it's so filled your heart, you have something to give away to somebody else. Amen. All right, will you guys please stand? So get the word in your heart so it's coming out of your mouth is basically the nutshell of that. And uh, know which ways you're being tempted. God, I thank you. Your word is powerful. It's effective. It was in your day. And it is today. It's the same sword, the same word, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And it quickens our flesh. And God, I pray in this day that we live in, 
that we would rise and take our place as sons and daughters of God, not living in Lodabar, not living in a land of poverty of mind, poverty of spirit, but living in the land of abundance where we see who you are in Christ and who, who we are in Christ and who you are in us. That we would stand on your word, believe your word, even when it's tough, even when it's a battle, even when it's a struggle, we'd stand on the word and trust you, God, that you are not a man that you'd lie or son of man that would change your mind. You speak and you act. You promise, you fulfill. So God, I just declare that over us that God is the God of increase. Increase in how we think. Increase in how we pray. Increase in how we teach, love, bless people. You're the God of all increase. I just declare that over you in Jesus' name. Some of you looking for new jobs or job increases, I just speak abundance over you. Get the word in your heart. Get it in your mouth so you can speak it when you're tempted to doubt it. Get the 